opportunity. So thank you so much uh, for coming um, to class. Of course, this is the first one, um, start of semester. We're going to go through September to June. So um, I've been doing it for three years. This is my fourth year of doing the class, and we're going to go through. So if you've never been here before, I'll kind of give you um, a fast um, rundown is that it's, it's usually called the doctrines of the Bible. And uh, through the three years, I will tell you that um, um, we bring up just about every subject that is, um, that is often not talked about from a pulpit, just to let you know. <laughs> every subject that is like, this is a huge issue in our culture, but we never talk about it. What does the Bible say about it? And we've done that for three years as we talk about the doctrines of the Bible and looking at those pieces of it, but this class is just going to be, okay, what we're going to do now is that now we've got the doctrines of the Bible branching off of them, we're just going to find the subjects and we're going to talk, we're going to, we're going to talk about them. Um, so with that being said, I will only teach in regards to how much control we can have in the room. <laughs> in other words, I watch, I watch, um, I watch temperaments, I watch behaviors like, oh, and, and those things. It's like whenever something comes out, people are going to disagree with me. Praise God. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm here to be disagree with you. The only goal in this class uh, would be getting us to think. Getting us to think. Um, the only direction in this class is be getting us to think the way God is thinking and what is taking place in his word. So the, the drive and the direction is what does the Bible say about this topic and if this is what the Bible says about it, how can I respond to it? Now, we're going to come up with a thousand different opinions. As we come up with a thousand different opinions, all you get to do is relax and say, oh, I disagree. Oh, I just don't like that. Okay, I don't want to go that direction. Um, but um, that's okay. That's perfectly all right. I'm not here to convince anybody. I'm here to say, I love the Word of God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And when there is a topic that's out there, I want to know what the Bible says about it. And, and that's what the class is going to be doing. So tough topics means that we are going to go through tough topics that are often not discussed. Um, and what I'm talking about is I'm talking about, and I was going to give you guys a whole outline, and I didn't do it. I hate to say it. I have it on my computer, and I forgot to print it out, a whole outline of some of the topics that we're going to be going on. But it's very difficult to talk about sexual sins, um, sexuality, even from the pulpit, in the sense that people respond in those things. Well, we're going to be talking about it here. Um, politics is a huge issue. Um, and if I start talking about it um, and bring it up, um, people are going to be going, oh boy, well, I, political. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with somebody about a political conversation? It gets heated so fast and it's, it, it's so gnarly. Um, other things that uh, uh, we'll be talking about is isn't God divisive? I mean, he says, I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Isn't that like completely exclusive? You know, we'll talk about those topics as well. Next week, I plan to try to give you that whole book of topics. But this week, I just thought I would just start out with a bomb. <laughs> and I will tell you that I have avoided talking politics um, for three years and, uh, and I don't know why I'm doing it this morning. <laughs> but I thought, well, we'll just start out the class and, and we'll talk politics. Let me tell you why we're going to talk a little bit about politics. I'm going to give some of my opinions, but the goal is to try to see what does the word say about it. Um, let me tell you why we're going to talk politics. Is number one, you can't get away from it. Um, 
you turn on the news and 80% of it is politics, maybe not 80%, maybe 60% is politics. And, um, and, and discussions start taking place. And as soon as discussions start taking place, um, um, heat starts happening. <laughs> I don't know why. Just, people say, you never talk about politics and religion, because if you do, heat starts happening. Um, you read the news and you're coming up with an opinion. Um, as you're reading the news and you're coming up with an opinion, you know, it's the encouragement to look in the Word of God and say, well, what should our opinion be according to the Word of God? What has taken place in regards to politics of the Word of God? Does God even talk about uh, politics? We also want to talk about this subject because um, it is something that the church cannot avoid. And this is what I mean by something the church cannot avoid, is when it comes to politics, some people will come and say, I have a political agenda that I need to push to your congregation. I have to make a decision. <laughs> okay, a political agenda that you need to push to the conversation, this is it. And then I'll make a decision and say, I'm sorry, you can't push that political agenda. And then sometimes I've been called, what, are you saved? Are you not a Christian? Are you a church that doesn't preach the gospel? Well, you know, you get all those things in regards to political agenda. But, but churches are faced with politics, just in a sense of what can we do? What can we push? Where can we go? It's such a huge thing in the area. Um, the other thing is that politics are intense because government has control. Uh, when we look at, uh, and I'm going to teach something about that statement, so just don't take that statement word for word. Government has control, so we think. Government has control. We think of, we don't like it. Sierra Leone, whenever there is a a vote. They practically go to war because villages and villages and tribals, wars start taking place because their tribal people did not get it. They are so passionate about government and control that whenever a vote takes place, it gets very, very aggressive. So when I go to Sierra Leone, what am I talking about? I have to open up the words here. What does the Bible talk about government? What does the Bible talk about politics? Um, last night, um, I had a pastor I'm sorry, I had a person here that comes on Saturday night and goes to another church Sunday morning. And he said, you know the reason why I come here Saturday night? I feel like I need to be dedicated to that smaller church on Sunday morning, but the reason I come here Saturday night is because I want the word preached instead of politics (laughs) from the pulpit. And politics are even coming from the pulpit and the word's not being spoken. So here I am, I'm like, oh, you can give me a pulpit. Um... Should I have a political agenda, you know, in regards to the pulpit? Or how should I respond to the pulpit? So we can't avoid the topic, social media and everything. It's too large of a topic to avoid. So all we're going to do today and, uh, is we're going to bring it up. What does the Bible say about politics? And ask the question, does the Bible say anything about politics? So um, here we go, and hopefully we'll have some time to an- answer questions at the end. One thing we need to know, here's a whole bunch of things we need to know. This is the first thing. God has established three institutions on earth. Marriage, the church, and government. God established marriage. I'm not going to go into it in depth, but God had a design to make it healthy, to make it strong, and to make it the way that he wanted to. Therefore, if he designs it, what's he going to do? He's going to give information on it. God designed a church, an establishment that is there. If he designed a church, he is going to give information on it. The church was not created by uh, man, was not designed by man. It was designed specifically by the hand of God. The third one, 
God designed, put in place the government. This is not a man's institution. Now, we might think that, oh, well, yeah, it is a man's institution. We put us all there on earth and said, well, we've got to have a government that rules. Man did not come up with that idea, according to the Bible. God came up with the idea. Now, if God comes up with an idea, I do have to say that, and, and I, I can go on and on forever, but he puts it into the hardware of our gifts, our beings, the establishment, and how things function. So when we talk about government, yes, the Bible is going to say something about government. The Bible is going to say a lot about government, and that's why I'm talking about it today. Why? Because only three he established, and government is one of them. Romans 13, 1 through 2. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. That's not what I'm really focused on. This is what I'm really focused on. For there is no authority except that which God has established. It's a powerful statement. There is no authority without God establishing it. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He gives no man credit for creating the government. Another thing you need to know about government is number two. God's plans and purpose are fixed and his will is secure from all violation. Government comes with authority. Government comes with power. Government comes with decisions. And that authority, that power, and those decisions are going to have an impact on our lives. It's just the way it is. Um, but what is the ultimate authority that is going to have an impact on our lives? Is a government carry everything that's going to have an impact on our lives? Or is there another authority behind it? God's will will not be thwarted. Nebuchadnezzar, he was a king of Babylon, and he was a strong king. In fact, he was so strong that Jeremiah makes a statement in Jeremiah 4 that he destroys nations. Jeremiah 4, 7, I don't have this verse. A lion, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, a lion has gone up from the thicket and destroyer of the nations. He set out. He has gone out to the place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. There is a government that is coming after you, and his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Twice he sieged Jerusalem and kept him captive, and he was not very nice to him. He was a powerful person, and he had a government, and he had authority. Now, there was two times that he made the statement, wow, I'm not in control. One of the times that he made the statement that he was not in control is when he took Daniel and he threw him in the lion's den. What happens is they made a statement that says, King, oh King Nebuchadnezzar, you are so powerful. And he says, I know. He says, well, being so powerful, this person's not praying to you. This person's praying to something that's more powerful. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? No, no, this does not take place. And then they mention that the name is Daniel. It's like, Daniel? I don't want to ruin him. But therefore I have to because he's praying to something that's more powerful than me threw Daniel into the lion's den, and when he did, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? He says, your God is more powerful than me. The most powerful person in the world at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, 
said, I do not carry all the power. There's something else that carries even more power. There's another time that he mentions about God, and this is when God takes his sovereignty away. God takes his power away. Actually, I'm going to say sovereignty away. When he takes his sovereignty away, Nebuchadnezzar turns into an animal and starts eating grass like a cow, like an animal. What is that statement? Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful person in the world, just wants you to know you're not. There is something that's more powerful, and my sovereignty is what is controlling what is taking place. Um, After that happened, his sovereignty left. This is the words of Nebuchadnezzar, words that we can hold on to in regards to government. This is Nebuchadnezzar's words. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raise my eyes towards heaven. This is not a good guy. This is a king that is very destructive in ruling and destroying nations. I raise my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Sovereignty was given back to him. Then I praised the most high God, that is capital letters, the one God who is in control. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Remember, this is the words from the most powerful person, that his eyes were opened to something more powerful than him. And all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? The powerful person, the most powerful person in the world at that time, making that statement that says, yes, I carry all the power in the world, so I think. I just come to the conclusion, I don't carry any power, even though I hold the position of ultimate power. Number three, politics is merely a method God uses to accomplish his will. Now, we're definitely going to be reading verses on this because it is a powerful statement, but it is a method that he uses to accomplish his will, and his will will not be um, distorted. Let's stay in the book of Daniel as we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4.17 says, This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decisions is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whom he wishes, and sets over it the lowliest of men. He puts him in, he puts him out, and he does it for a purpose. Romans thirteen six. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God. Now, who's a servant of God? Well, servant of God is somebody who accepts Jesus in your heart and you're a servant of God. Is that really um, the case? Not according to this verse. Rulers are servants of God. Now, we're going to go further into this, but let's think of a ruler by the name of Pharaoh. (laughs) Um, Was Pharaoh a servant of God? Was God's plan exalted and done even with Pharaoh being in the position? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh's heart just harden? There is a control that is there and the control is going towards something that will proclaim God's glory or even possible God's judgment on us. John 14.10 So Pilate 
said to him, You do not speak to me. You do not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Who's he talking to here? <laughs> He's talking to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the guy that's carrying all that sovereignty stuff that just says, I am in complete control. He's talking to the man. You see the arrogance of Pilate? I can crucify you or I cannot. Let me ask you a question. Is it in Pilate's control? Before we finish the verse, is in Pilate's control? Did Pilate have the control to make it so there will not be one saved person in the world because he rescued Jesus? Or is somebody else in control? Was Pilate just a conduit that was sitting there for God's ultimate plan of salvation to take place? Let's finish the verse and you'll see. Jesus answered, you have no authority over me. None, unless it had been given to you from above. It's a pretty powerful statement. Pilate, you think you're in control? Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're in control? Number one, <laughs> you're not in control. You think you have the power to change lives and whatever decision you make, that everything's going to take place? Um, just relax. That's not where the control is at. That's not where the strength is at. John nineteen sixteen. So Pilate then handed him over to be crucified. We know Pilate's decision. I have the power to control, uh, to crucify you. We also know Pilate's going, I don't want to do it. But he did it anyway. Or did he do it? Or did somebody else do it besides him, which might have been God? Four, something to understand about government. God puts government officials in place and God takes them out. Um, Daniel, we find a lot of government happening because it was the siege of Jerusalem and uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the man and he became the man by knowledge, by wisdom, by strength, by power and he created that for himself and he ruled with a rod and he ruled with force. Daniel 2.21 says, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. What does God do? He removes kings. I will pull you down. And what does he do? He also puts kings in place. Number five, another thing to know about the government. God has the power to control the government officials. Now, when we're talking about government, the first thing um, that comes to our mind, and I'm just going to have to say it, <laughs> the first thing that comes to our mind is President Trump. And the next thing that comes to our mind, or maybe the first, is Hillary Clinton. And uh, those are the two things um, that come to our mind. And the reason why it, they come to our mind is because they hold a position of power. So the first thing, you have President Trump, he holds a position. What's going to happen? What's going to take place? And then we might start making statements, I like what he's doing. He's doing a good job. I like what, oh, I do not like what he's doing. Oh, I hate the way he's doing. And all of a sudden we start talking about that. Um, the next thing that comes to our minds is, is Hillary Clinton. You know, oh, I wish Hillary Clinton was there instead of Trump. Or, oh, I'm so glad Hillary Clinton's there and not instead of Trump. So as soon as we say government, that's where our minds start start migrating. And um, so what I want to challenge you to do is um, if, if you're, and I'm not getting into politics here, but say, you know, I'm a Trump fan. God really put him in. Things are really working good. Um, I want you to think about, just pretend like Hillary Clinton was there. <laughs> if you are um, um, 
a Hillary Clinton fan, it's like, oh, I see why it's happening now. It's horrible. I wish, you know, Hillary Clinton was there. I want you to think, you know, Trump being there, and you can carry that anxiety. But carry truth behind both of those anxiety that God has the power to control the government officials. I have the power to control Hillary if he is in. I have the power to control Trump if he is in. Proverbs 21 1 says, The word of God, the king's heart is like channels of water in the, land, in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God has not given any control of this institution he created to the government officials. He is using the government officials for purposes in regard to his name and glory. Job 12 23, he makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations, and he disperses them. He deprives the leaders of this earth of their reason. He sends them wandering through the trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. Who's in control? Decisions are our God. He is in control, not a person. So, number six, another thing you need to know. Believers throughout the ages have lived and even flourished under antagonistic. Sorry, I'm like, I spelled it wrong. Under antagonistic, repressive, murdering pagan governments. The churches have flourished underneath, um, underneath that. Again, when I go to Africa, they have gone through horrific wars. And as they have gone for horrific wars... I will tell you what I see on their faces. I see a light that is growing of forgiveness that America has never seen. And what I mean by that is, is that I was there with Ben Margai, and he explained, there, this place right here is where they shot my sister, and I was actually standing right here, and I saw that murder take place. And after that murder and after the war was over, what happens, they put us all together, and the person that murdered my sister um, is in town. And by the way, I met him, and I went up to him, and I looked at him and says, you know me, you know my sister, and you know you killed her. I want you to know I forgive you, because I cannot carry the pain and the burden uh, with that, and I have a powerful God that will allow me to be able to do that. I go to Africa, and I see the light of God shining on their faces. And it wasn't because they had a really strong, healthy, beautiful government in place that you see that light. It's because you see the power of God. The greatest revival that has ever taken place in the church was under a horrific government, the most horrific government in the world. And as they were under that horrific government, there was oppression, there was depression, there was murder, there was martyr, and what was taking place as a result? Just during that time, the church was growing faster than you have ever believed. In fact, it was rapidly growing without control in the book of Acts. Right now in China is a government that um, does not want the gospel preached. Is a government that will persecute Christians. And the church in China underground is growing twice as fast as the church in America. It is growing extremely rapidly and God's name is being proclaimed. Churches, I'm just going to say, have thrived. I'm not trying to vote for depression, oppression, but have thrived aggressively under government oppression. Acts 14, through many tribulations, we must 
enter the kingdom of God. Got to speed up a little bit. Number seven, and we're not going to like this one, (laughs) but here it goes. God's will for Christians is not always entitlement, freedom, comfort, security, free of pain, and peace for us. Um, We live in a world where things come our way that we disagree with, we don't like, that is not good, it hurts, it destroys, it is not always going to be there, just to let you know. And we know it's not always going to be there because we have the book of Revelation saying it's not always going to be there for the Christian. It, in Africa, it, it was not there for years. People are suffering. People are hurting. We really get upset by government because we look at them and say government is in power. And the reason why they are in power, we are paying a price that is so devastated, so bad, so cruel, so sick, and that is not God's plan. God's plan is comfort. God's plan is peace. God's plan is me to be happy. God's plan is that everything works out really, really good. I don't want to get too deep, but we have to always have this one thing in our mind. Unsaved people do what unsaved people are supposed to do. Unsaved people do what unsaved people are supposed to do. The Bible is clear that there is a battle in the heavens between Satan and between him. Those unsaved people are not standing alone. They are aggressive. They're hard. They're saying we've got to break morality, and we see it in our government. We see it. They're, they're approaching on God's gift of marriage. They're approaching in God's gift of here. They're approaching on God's gift of life. And all these things are taking place, and we instantly react, and we point. We've got to have redemption. Therefore, we've got to go after that government and make sure we can get the government in to make sure that the government can bring redemption to our nation, and this thing will not happen. Don't forget who is, in, <laughs> who, who is in control. God is the one that's in control, and unsaved people are doing what they're supposed to do. Don't use them as, 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 as even as scapegoats. So it is a tough comment. Christians will not always be entitled, not always have freedom, comfort, security, free of pain, peace. Um, I just want to go through some fast verses looking at my time. We definitely need to move. Job 1.6, now there was a day when the Son of God came to present himself before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, now Satan did not say to the Lord, the Lord said to Satan, and these are the words, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Then the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? (laughs) God is making a deal. For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Satan, you want somebody. Have you ever considered this guy? And the story unfolds that he was handed to Satan. We can say, well, that's not God's will. Is it God's will? For 3,000 years, or depending on when the book of Job was written, we have been reading this story of God's amazing power over the book of Job. We have an understanding of suffering like we would never have unless God 
used that story, put it in Scripture, and gave it to her life. That story is one of the richest stories um, that we're holding on to, and we'll hold on to it forever. What happens if we did not have that story? We would not have pieces of God's mind that came from that story. And it was the heart of suffering that was there. So we can say, I cannot believe God did this. And if you were Job, I think you'd probably say the same thing. But 3,000 years later, we can say, God, thank you for doing it. And Job, thank you for being faithful. And we can rejoice. Ruth 20, 21. She said to them, Do you call me Naomi? Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt with very, bitterly, very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. This is an afflicted person. This story is in the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is extremely dark, and Naomi was going through the affliction as she lost her husband. And as she's going through this affliction, who does she blame? It's interesting, if you keep on looking through there, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Almighty has afflicted me. She wasn't pointing to government. She wasn't pointing anywhere. Where was she pointing? She was pointing to God, which was really interesting. Now, we can look at this verse and say, that is horrific. This verse right here changes the whole world. (laughs) And the reason why this verse right here changes the whole world, or this book changes the whole world, is because the deep, darkest things that were taking place in the book of Judges, God was going to send a Savior. And at the end of the book of Judges, sorry, I don't have the verse, at the end of the book of Judges, Naomi raises a son. And then after he raises a son, the line of Jesus starts to come redemption. So we see this darkest moment that Naomi went through, and that darkest moment that she went through was for a purpose. And what was the purpose? The purpose was life. Now, if we go through a dark moment, we think, no, 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 no. The dark moment is because God doesn't like me. Dark moments because God's oppressed me. No, God's in control of the whole picture. And there is dark moments. There is strong moments. There is healthy moments. There is prosperity moments. But we can never forget who is in control. Hebrews 11, you can read that passage, talks about people that have gone through the ringer, <laughs> have gone through horrific stuff. And do you know who they were? They were the prophets. And they got horrific stuff as it was place. We can say that is not the will of God, but as they were going through it, nobody else is in control um, outside of it. So um, what I want to do is I want to explain the word sovereignty real fast before I go into how should we respond to politics. And uh, you can't define the word sovereignty that fast, but I'm going to try just to give you a really fast picture of what sovereignty looks like is when we talk about God is in control, if God was not out of control, we would live like Nebuchadnezzar eating grass. When sin entered into us, we are built for destruction. We design destruction. We are moved by destruction. Destruction, misery, march away, and hell's at the end. We are wild animals, and I will say that I would be the most brutal, awful, sickest, 
person in the world if it was not for the grace of God. See, what sovereignty is, is sovereignty is God intervening into a life of sin. It's all driven by grace. So if God doesn't intervene, we're all going through madness, sickness. I mean, we, we start slaughtering each other right now. But sovereignty is God moving into it and God putting things in place for his name and for his glory and for the salvation for the salvation of people. That is what sovereignty means in a really fast, a really fast statement that there is, there is control in that. So if there is that control of, oh, I'm receiving grace, how should we respond to those that we think are oppressing us? How should we respond to maybe government that is in control and um, that, um, that we really just don't like? Um, just a couple points. Remember, you don't have to agree with me. I'm just trying to figure out scripture or what it says, and I want you to put everything in context as we look at these points. Number eight, the church must remain focused on changing people's hearts, not behavior. I have to make a decision when somebody comes down and says, we need the church to get behind us, and we need to rally support. And there is a law that needs to be passed. And if the church would get behind it, that law would pass. And the church is sick because they won't get behind us. I've heard this statement before. You are sick murder because you won't get behind us. Why don't you wake up and get behind us so this law can be passed? Therefore, we need your pulpit. Give us 10 minutes for three weeks. We also want you to preach about this subject because it is a subject that is facing the American people and it's got to be changed. Would a vote change it? One thing about how God works is that law changes nothing. Something else has to be changed if the subject is going to be changed. And what is it? It's the heart. Matthew 15, 18 through 19. But the things that come out of the mouth, where do they come from? They come from the heart. And these make man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adulterer, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, and slander. We see the government, and we start to say, we have got to put our stock in the government. We have to put our force into the government. The person that is probably preaching every morning about politics has probably jumped on board with that to make sure that something has got to be changed, but they're changing the wrong thing. They're not changing the heart. See, what happens is if, if we go through trying to change all the laws, then we are just a generation, and our focus is in the wrong direction. The only thing that can change the heart is the gospel of God. So as a church, I have to deal with politics because everybody's going to bring it my way. But what is the focus of politics? The focus is not to go after the law the focus is stay narrow-minded to say nothing will change in this world unless hearts are changed and the only thing capable of changing it would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I can stand up here and I can preach about things we want to change in the law and it won't do any good. I can stand up here and say there is a gospel that can drive the church, a gospel that can drive us into prayer, a heart that can be changed with this gospel, and as a result, things can be changed then. A church cannot lose its focus. And I will tell you right now that the church is tempted to lose its focus. 
with an array of stuff that is coming here, political issues that they want to get the mob to go after and to defend. There has to be a preaching of the word and the gospel knowing that the only way anything is going to change is going to be that. People in China are not out to, not, are not out to change the government. The church in China are out to reach souls, and it is growing. The church in Acts never went out to change the government. They went out aggressively to change the souls of the people. They said, this is the message, and I will focus, and I will not stop. There was not the huge things of, okay, we are going to go after this government because we are dead if we don't get it. There was a peace and security. God is in control, and when hearts are changed, things will happen. Philemon one twenty. refresh my heart in Christ. Okay, number, um, number nine, another thing that we should not do when it comes to politics and talking. Do not fret. Fear the Lord. God is in control, not our government. <laughs> if the scripture has anything to say about government, this is all the passages that it's saying. Don't fret about it. There's somebody else in control. If, if, if you want to insult um, God's name, um, the best way to do it is say there's something in control other than God. There's something more powerful other than God. There is something that is going to change this world more than God. If you want to exalt God's name, what are you going to do in a conversation of politics? You say, well, <laughs> we might have a president, but what's so cool about that is the word of God doesn't give him any control. God puts people in, God puts people out. It might be some rough times because God puts it in because he might want to be judging us. That's okay. All I know is God's in control, and if he wants to judge me and he wants to judge my nation, as long as he's making the decision, I guess, I guess we've got to go along with it. I will, go, I will go along with it, knowing that God's in control. So the worst thing we can do when it comes to government, and this is just general, the worst thing we could do is we can fear and we can act afraid. And because when we act afraid, we are making the bold statement that government owns us and is in control. Government never owned people in Acts. God did. Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. The beginning of wisdom is to do what? Fear God. To be a fool would be to fear something else other than God, and that's where we naturally, the naturally do. Um, letter A, um, I should be actually nine. It would be um, ten, but that's all right. Um, do not slander our government officials. It fuels hate. Now, when I say do not slander our government officials, it's a pretty bold statement, but the weight in all of that is the word slander. So we know the word slander goes across the Bible, and it does one thing. It takes us, and it makes us hot. Um, it does not affect the person that we're slandering. I mean, it affects them in a negative way, but what it does is it makes us hot. It makes us hate. It gives us energy. By me looking at George and say, let me tell you about George. By doing that, say if I'm frustrated 10% at George, if I can just talk it a little bit more, this is what slander does, then I can take it to 20%, 30%, 40%, 80%, and all of a sudden I'm yelling across the room. And where do we get that? We get that from, from slander. 
Um, so I just looking at that word, not talking about government, that's not about government, looking at one word slander, but we live in a world that's like, ah, oh, it's time to slander. Let's look at the verse, Leviticus 19, 16. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Number 10, we are commanded to pray for our governing officials. It is not always God's will that we have peace, what we want, freedom, and those things. But I will tell you, we like it. And with liking it, what we do, government has some strength, is it is our job as a church to uphold them in prayer. Slander fuels hate. Prayer fuels mercy, fuels sorrow. Oh, I pray for him. Oh, he's, the, the hurt. Oh, oh, the greed that he, you know, whatever it is, it fuels a, a, um, a love even specifically for our nation when we invest into it with prayer. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Also seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because it prospers. You too will prosper. These people are in exile. They are completely bound. They despise their government. The reason why is because they're in chains because of their government. And what's God's command? What's Jeremiah's statement? Oh, these people that you hate so bad... <laughs> says pray (laughs) because if they prosper you get to prosper see the direction he gives to the church make sure you pray no matter how you feel about anybody make sure you pray for them because as they prosper in health goodness in god you will prosper as well first timothy 2 1 i urge you then first of all that requests prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone and then he makes a statement specifically for kings and all those in authority He makes those statements that we need to make sure we're committed to pray for them. Number 11, vote. (laughs) See, God has given us a voice. God has allowed us to make a statement. Um, He, I can speak the gospel or I don't have to speak the gospel. I have that power to do it. When you think of politics, and you look in politics, and you think, okay, what are we going to do? What should we do in, in those things? You have a piece of power that you can throw out there. I wouldn't even say a piece of power. You have a piece of opinion you can throw out there. And it is rested um, in a vote. And, and I believe that even as a, a church and as a Christian, that of us saying, okay, I'm not going to vote and I'm going to re- rebel, you know, um, I'm not going not to do that. As you see those areas, um, I think that it's um, not what God's looking for. Proverbs 14, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. If you look and say, okay, what should we do? Where is my vote? I will tell you that votes are not all that easy nowadays. <laughs> They're not. And there's friction, there's tensions like, uh, can I even justify a vote? But I believe that the scripture is clear that righteousness exalts a nation. What would be righteous and what could be right? I need to give my opinion. And then if God just manages something else, then you did your work. You get to sit back and say, God, now all I do is pray. I live in peace. I voted. I can pray. I'm in peace. God, your sovereignty is now in control. And I'm going to exalt your name in the areas that, um, that I can. Number 12, the church's mission does not lie in changing the nation through political reform, but in changing hearts uh, through the Word of God. is just a summary of what we're talking about, that there is a focus 
that we need to have, and it needs to be a, a consuming focus, and that is to change the hearts of people, not to change the minds of people. Because when the hearts of people are changed, as we read that verse, their lives are changed. Many churches preach the law, meaning if you do the law, everything's going to be good. That is not our message, because it's not the, book, the message in the book of Acts. We preach Christ and Christ crucified, because that is what's going to pierce a heart, and it's also what is going to pierce a nation for the glory of God. And as we preach Christ and Christ crucified, and all the laws change in, we could think of, this is getting really, really bad, but then all we get to do is really sit back and say, as it gets bad, I will not stop preaching Christ and Christ crucified and have my security and strength in him. I will continue to do it, and as it gets bad, I can rest on the sovereignty of God that there might be my generation, like the Reformation, or it might be something else, but God's name is going to stand so far above it in time and it will explode, and he will have glory that you cannot imagine, no matter what the government does or the decisions that they make. All right, so we've got a couple minutes that we can have uh, questions, um, comments. Um, I just do want to remind you that our, you know, the, um, um, this is not a place to say, okay, this is my opinion of this person. In my opinion of this person. We want the opinion of, of, of God. And, um, and we can have a look and say, well, what does the Bible say about this? Or what, the Bible, what do you think we should do this and not this? You know, those things uh, we can bring up. But um, just as, in regards to that topic. Any questions? The church should pray for every election. The church should be involved in every election. The church should, you know, be in tune with what's going on in our government because, um, and, and I just tell you, Glenda said we should pray for every election. It's just a comment that she made. And absolutely, we live in this world. <laughs> and this world's decisions are going to have an impact on my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and those things. So it is heavy. But what's our source? Gripe or pray? <laughs> um, a lot of Christians can easily do the gripe rather than the pray. <laughs> and uh, if you do the gripe, gripe increases. And if you do the pray, pray incre- prayer increases. So those two are the things that are out there. Yeah, Bob. Oh, yeah. I was just going to mention, I'm reading the book of Job right now in the Bible. And I just imagine what that scene must have been like when he's sitting there suffering in pain. And the guys come up and he said, you know what you did, Joe? You did blah, 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 blah. And he could criticize him and talk about the failures he did and this and that and why he's being punished. And I just, in the back of my mind, I keep thinking, why don't you just take him some food and comfort his wounds? And why are you criticizing him? And it's like they're in this political mindset where they're, they're justifying his suffering mm-hmm. by saying the things he did wrong and the things he didn't do right. But I think what you're saying is like, Let's just show love to these people that are suffering. We can show God's love, and that's what really heals this stuff up. And I, I, I think that every time I read through Job, all the words they say to him and think, all you got to do is be kind to this guy, help him out, do good works for him, and he won't respond like he did. You know, he's always yeah. saying, I didn't deserve this, I didn't deserve that. You know, yeah. but it's, it was just really nice that our actions in politics yeah. can be, let's just... Um, have a mindset 
we could do whatever is good for this country, do whatever is good for the people around it, instead of declaring war on them, why don't we send out some servants to help them, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm just, whenever I get in the work of politics, I keep thinking, there's got to be a better way to handle the trials of this world than than what we're doing. I was reading the book of, just really fast comment, and then we probably should wrap it up. I was reading the book of Job, and and the last person um, makes a statement, all right, I'm young, Um, I was not going to speak, but now I'm going to speak, because wisdom doesn't come with age. Wisdom comes with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is upon me, so shut up and listen, and let me tell you about what the Spirit of God says to Job. And then he speaks for a chapter, and then God comes in and says, that's all hogwash. (laughs) One thing we do is we get in our mind, this is what the Spirit of God is, and we use the word, the Spirit of God says this, and I know that truth. All that does is just bring power to what you say. Um, God, in his sovereignty, is doing something that you don't know what <laughs> he's doing. And the resting in that is where we need to, to rest in, rather than, okay, I've got to make a statement, I have a word from God, and this is what the word is. Well, it might not be from <laughs> God. It wasn't then. So it was just really convicting me in that, in that regard. All right, we'll dismiss. Thank you guys for coming. Hopefully nobody's like red hot thinking, oh, don't like that Bible and politics.